Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. Hey gang, Captain Mike Anderson here with the Real Animals Podcast, presented by Contender Boats. You can follow us on Facebook slash Real Animals, also on uh, Instagram at Real Animals TV. We're on Twitter at Real Animals Fish as well. Had a great opportunity today to uh, spend uh, about a half hour or so talking with my good friend Eric Bachnick from Miralure. Got to dive into a little bit of the really rich, incredible history of uh, LNS Bait Company, uh, Harold LeMaster, uh, Eric's grandpa started the company, so we got to, we got to talk about some of that. We got to talk about some of Eric's favorite lures, uh, some some of his favorite plastics, his hard baits, some of the stuff, the time and energy that goes into making mirror lures. Pretty good conversation. Uh, hope you enjoy. Talking here with my good friend Eric Bachnick from Mirror Lure. Website shopmirrorlure.com. I was doing some homework yesterday, Eric, just trying to get my ducks in a row for our chat here. And uh, a lot of people know the story Harold LeMaster, your grandfather, um, 1937, he invented the Shiner Minnow, huh? Yes, for sure. Yeah. He was a carpenter by trade, obviously good with wood. And those long winters up in uh, Kankakee, Illinois, he would go to the basement and he would you know, whittle out some, some lures out of some hardwood and then take them down springtime when the ice broke and water flow started moving and he'd fish for smallmouth and walleye and, and that, that's where he first got his start. That's crazy. Now, and, and what was the original color? Do you know? You know, he had, he, yeah, there, there were several. Um, it was like a grayish color in black with a black back, you know, Nothing too lavish uh, to begin with, but then when he started mass producing some of the Shiner minnows, like the Bassmaster and the Pikemaster, that's when he really developed uh, some neat ways to paint the lures. Um, it, there is quite a few, you know, uh, vintage mirror lures, you know, made from the 40s still on, like, you know, eBay and, and, and stuff like that that you could purchase and, and our stuff didn't really uh, doesn't really appreciate in value much some of the really old ones that were were made from wood uh i tried to get one the other day and i, I offered eight hundred dollars for it and somebody outbid me so i really <laughs> wanted it knowing that my grandfather whittled it out of wood but that's like the, the highest i've ever seen one go for but uh it's fun it how, really is how long did it take him to make a lure i mean if you're whittling them all by hand then, how long does that take back then Back then, you know, I, I'm not quite sure, um, but it took him a lot of time. But then he said, then he obviously figured out, hey, listen, for me to try to sell these and make some money, you know, I have to sort of get into a situation to mass produce it. Right. That's when he started uh, injection molding them back in, I believe, right 48. I don't know my history as well as some mm-hmm. other people, but uh, that's pretty much. Uh, 37 is when we got our start, but we really started mass producing, you know, baits out of plastic in like 47, 48 time. And then, then, I mean, he had some lavish paint jobs where he used screens and made a scale look on it. Pretty neat stuff. He had a glitter that he put on one color. Uh, It was really remarkable. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then in 51 must be when they moved to Clearwater then, huh? Yep. Yep. Right around that time, you know, it, 
everything was going real well, and they uh, sell a lot of freshwater lures and uh, moved towards uh, clear water around that time. And uh, then he fell in love, obviously, with the salt water and started designing saltwater baits. So there's a little irony that our company is a heavily saltwater-based company with the product lines of Paul Brown, Island Lures, and, and Mira Lure. But we got our start back in Kankakee, Illinois. So uh, <laughs> I think that's funny. A, yeah, I think that's a pretty cool story. Now, how did you come into loving it enough to take over the business? I mean, did you was it just fishing as a kid, and it it just led you down this path? No, there was just sort of some good opportunities. Um, we worked. My twin brother and I going through high school. The summer months, we'd go up to LNS, and thankfully, uh, our uncle. Uh, Bill LeMaster um, gave us a summertime job, so we basically worked there for, I'm going to say, at least three three summers. So we got a good pulse of things. Uh, and um, then in uh, 91, um, my uncle said, hey, listen, I just graduated from uh, University of South Florida with a finance degree, and I was going for my master's at University of Tampa in my uh, – my uncle said, hey, why don't you come uh, w- work for me? And, uh, you know, I-, I always loved the fish, obviously, grew up fishing. But, you know, I really came into the business quite cold and, and uh, basically just, uh, you know, started working a little bit with sales. And uh, at that particular point in time, we had sales reps. So I learned a lot from our sales reps. And, uh, you know, it just, uh, it, fortunately, it, it came into a career. So I guess I sort of stumbled on it. And then your brother, Frank, is a, a, a really well-known guide here on the west coast of Florida, and he just decided to just do the fishing thing, huh? Yeah, he worked a little bit in retail. Back then there was a store back in the 90s called the Complete Meritor up in Holiday, and he was working retail, fishing sales, and he tried to sell some other things. And, you know, he just did just, – it, it, he didn't really care for it. So he started uh, guide fishing, you know, back then in the early 90s and, you know, with a terrific fishery and, and obviously not not as much competition as, as in today's world, um, you know, uh, fished hard and, and developed a, uh, a good, you know, loyal customer base. Yeah, so. no doubt. No doubt. He's a good guy, too. I, I've enjoyed the – Several times that I've run into him and talked to him, I, I definitely enjoy being around him. Now, let's real quick, how many models now, how many models are there? How many different mirror lure baits are there today? I know somebody's going to listen to this and say, he's wrong. You know, <laughs> I have no idea. We, we're working on new products all the time, and we do have to discontinue some of the ones that uh, – that uh, that don't sell as well you know we sort of have a benchmark so i really don't know i know that there's because we make we, we, we a lot of times we'll discontinue something however if someone orders enough we'll we still have the molds and the you. uh you know the, the the parts to make them so you know i would say in the mirror hard bait line we probably have at least 40 models Okay. Um, and then, you know, the colors are just unbelievable that we're doing. We're, um, we do a lot of custom colors. For example, if a retail store wants their own particular color, uh, they can choose what color they want, what insert they want, what color hooks they want, what eye color they wow. want. And we'll do as few as 60 pieces for an individual customer. So our business is really going well with that. 
um, the ability for us to do that is because, you know, I've got a, another factory down in Costa Rica that, uh, that, that we shoot everything, all the parts and materials here in Largo, and then we ship it down there. It's a very, very labor-intensive uh, process building a mirror lure. Um, so to keep our retail costs down, um, you know, basically we, we, we have them uh, made overseas in Costa Rica, and then we ship them back here, and then we package them and, and get them out to our stores. Sure. I've noticed our, our very good friend, uh, Captain C.A. Richardson, is doing a lot of his own colors now which I think is uh, is pretty interesting and, and, and a good idea, and it seems to be doing very well for him. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. Let me ask you a couple of questions, and then I just want to talk some fishing with you too here. I mean, which one is your favorite? If you had to go to go to one of those baits, which one would it be? Or is that not it's, a fair question? It's definitely, <laughs> no, that, that's a very fair question. You know, when I think of, of fishing lures, especially the mirror lure line, they're simply tools. So obviously, I guess to be direct, it would be the best lure in our product line. I feel we sell more Miradines, but the Miradine XL is just an iconic bait. Why? Because it's got extra strong hooks. I've caught 150 pound tarpon on the stock bait. So if you, if I were to you know select one bait that I could catch anything from a tarpon down to a, a small little trout or what have you, that bait will do it. And also casting distance, as you well know, as pressure as our flats are nowadays, being able to cast that lure farther, you'll catch more fish. So the, the XL Miradine Model 27MR, I would say, is my favorite in the product line with the hard baits. I was, Soft baits would be the Little John, hands down. I know you're just a marshmallow, <laughs> but hands down, Little John for me. I was really impressed when I saw the Miradine XXL. Because and right away I thought of the offshore opportunities for guys who fish offshore. Um, I know a lot of guys that run trips out there that you know love to take a live well full of pilchards with them offshore, especially during tuna time when the blackfin tuna get close enough to reach uh-huh. out there and get them. Uh-huh. And to me, it was the minute I saw the XXL Miradine, I thought to myself, and that is a perfect already rigged up pitch bait for those situations when you roll up or if you're already sitting on a piece and you're fishing away and then all of a sudden you got tuna popping around the boat, you don't have to jump in the live well right away to get a live one. You have this Miradine, which is a perfect replica. I just thought that was a killer game-changing bait for the offshore guys. Yeah, we, we've, we've really been surprised. You know, we built the XXL, uh, you know, for the striper fishery in the northeast and also applications for tuna, amberjack, you know, as well as, you know, in Texas where everything's bigger, you know, they've been throwing a lot of those, you know, for, we call it a big pork chop, but uh, for um, for those Texas trout. So, but around here, obviously, jumbo snook, big jacks, you know, it's amazing when we were testing the XXL, how small a fish that would actually strike that XXL size. Unbelievable. Hmm. That's interesting. Let me, speaking of Texas, what's your take on the Texas fishery in general? You know how we do a lot of talking about all the pressure on the Florida waters here and all that. Is Texas experiencing the same thing? You know, um, they, they get a lot of pressure. They really do. They've got trout tournaments over there. But they've got just a vast, vast coastline. There are certain areas, I think, like the southern part of the state, um, you know, down near Brownsville, Corpus Christi South, 
Those areas, I think, are doing remarkably well, and they've got a great redfish fishery and also black drum. Now, when you get up towards Galveston, over there towards the Louisiana border, they uh, there's a lot of pressure there, and they've been they've been really, in my take, we're seeing a lot of the numbers go down and the size class go down. Is that because of hurricanes? I don't know. Fishing pressure? I don't know. But I feel that there's so much pressure and there's so much take around that big lake area um, and in the Beaumont area. That area has been been a little bit on on the slide. We uh, we do some TV shows over there um, every year, and over the past three years, we saw some decline in the uh, the amount of bait and I mean the amount of trout and the uh, the size of the fish. So. Uh, but overall, they've got some pretty good fishery. Spotty, just sort of like our coast. You know, some areas seem to do better some years than others. Right, right. Interesting. Do they have the same uh, pension for the red tide and things like that? Do you know? You know, they get like a brown tide over there. and It doesn't really kill fish. It, it, it basically, uh, they tell me it kills the grass bottom oh. because there's no sunlight to get down in there. Sure. Um, but it's very rare that I hear of a red tide over there, and they... They always call over here, you know, and I was like everybody else singing the blues about the red tide and just really stressed out over our fishery, you know, last fall and and, uh, knock on wood, hope it doesn't reoccur. But uh, they don't seem to have those issues over there. Salinity uh, issues cause a problem in those areas. You know, a lot of rain actually is good for, for flushing out that system, and they seem to have good crab and shrimp runs after a flush of fresh water. It's the drought years over there that it seems like those those estuary systems in Texas don't do as well. Oh, well, that makes sense. I mean, you know, getting that moving water, getting that flush, all that stuff is is paramount yeah. to an estuary. There's no doubt about it. So yeah, when, look how our bays look how our bays come alive when we get that rain in June and July, and we get that dark water coming out of Boca Grande and out of here. You know, we get all that little sizzle bait, and it just seems like a lot of life in it really cools down some of the uh, some of the water temperatures here locally as well. So it seems like it's a live time of year with that flush. I think it helps. It, it holds true to our market as well. Yeah, I think so. And I think it, it, I noticed from years and years of fishing Boca Grande, the crab flushes are always better when we're having those evening rains. Obviously, as a tarpon uh, fisherman, we'd want them to be much later in the evening so they don't mess up that <laughs> right. late afternoon bite. But it, right. it, it seemed to hold true that, you know, if we didn't have those rains, the crab flushes wouldn't be as good and then the tarpon wouldn't be quite as prevalent as they would be if, you know, mm-hmm. if we were having those huge mm-hmm. crab flushes. So I think that's probably, yeah. yeah, that's probably a key to the to the whole deal there. Now, let me ask you, what is it you do when you go fishing for Eric? When Eric just wants to go have fun, relax, go with your daughter, and just spend a day on the water, what's your favorite thing to go do? Oh, boy. You know, trout, the speckled sea trout, that pays the bills at Miralure. It really does. Uh, so I like to catch fish. I don't know. You know, I've, um, and I like, I, like, I like to catch fish. So typically, I'll trout fish with artificials. Um, if the kings are around, you know, we may troll big plugs or I might live bait. I mean, and, and a lot of people say, Eric, you know, you live bait? Yeah, I'll throw a cast in. I'm not opposed to using live crickets, you know. It just depends. But, you know, fortunately, we've got so many different species to fish for here in, uh, you know, in the Tampa Bay region. Last Saturday, Ray and I went up to Lake Tarpon, caught a few crappie. That was fun. My daughter and I are fishing uh, Tom Mahoney's Bass Club there, so we've had fun fishing some of the 
local uh, local lakes and not doing really really well there but uh, you know we're catching a few fish that's a very humbling experience fishing freshwater after fishing salt for so many years no doubt. but uh you know when we go fishing we typically will will we'll go trout fishing or, or mackerel fishing or, or mangrove snapper fishing we want it we want to get bites sure. we really do sure just catching fish sounds like you're like me i just I like, there's very few fish that i found i don't like I mean, if they if I can yeah. get them to eat and I can get them on the end of that line yeah. and get a fight out of them, I'm pretty happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I laugh with. Yeah. Sometimes the the Florida angler to me is so spoiled rotten because we have such mm-hmm. incredible fishing. You know, I have customers that they'll get a big jack on and then they'll complain, "Oh, it's it's just a jack." I'm like, dude, it's a six pound <laughs> jack, and you're still fighting. Uh-huh. I mean, that's a great fish. Yeah. You know, the bluefish, although they're not huge here. But if you get a nice bluefish mm-hmm. on, it's a heck of a battle. Heck of a battle. Yeah. 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 No, no doubt. Yeah, and, no doubt. And, and that's in the number of species that we can catch here, you know? I mean, it's just, it's really nice. I, I just, uh, I, I love fishing the west coast of Florida and, um, and, and, and the east coast as well, but it's, it's, it's fun. We have a lot of things to be, be thankful for. Yeah, no doubt about it. Now, if we were, if, if you were, and you've done some seminars with me in the past, which, which always go over big. But, I mean, what, what's the one thing that you would tell people about, you know, fishing with artificials that you think may help them, that people miss? I think a lot of times people feel that they're always searching for the best bait or, you know, what lure should I use at this particular time? Yeah, that is important. But being in fish and finding fish, I think, is the key to having success in fishing. So a lot of people get married into their spot, their favorite spot, and they, they just, they're going to go back to their favorite spot. You know, I think it's good to sort of go out, look for fishy areas, try new spots, be on the move. You know, if, if your spot isn't producing, pick up, try something different. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're, if your favorite spot is a, is a, is a shallow shoreline and you're not getting any hits, try a little deeper grass flat, you know, or try some potholes, you know, change it up a little bit till you start seeing some results and always remember, you know, basically what type of pattern was at the same time last year. You know, that's a really good indicator, you know, providing that the water temperatures are about the same. So, you know, I, I, I think that, that trying to find fishy waters and to be in fish is the key to success and moving around is very important. I think through this podcast series here that people will get tired of me saying get a fish log write it down because yeah. the more yeah. information you can put into that scenario the, the better yeah. off you are if you can try to match it especially because it's hard to remember you know i'm on the water all the time you fished here your whole life it's hard to remember exactly when you were there exactly what the tide yeah. was doing exactly what the water temp was when those fish chose mm-hmm. to be at that particular spot yeah, you know? I mean, I yeah. think that's a big, a big piece to the puzzle, and I think people mm-hmm. need to understand the one thing I love about artificials is is you're covering so much water. You're covering mm-hmm. water, which makes things a lot easier than just putting a live bait out underneath a cork or free line and just sitting in that one yeah. little ten by ten square. You know, if the fish aren't in that ten by ten square, then the chances of you getting bit aren't good. But if you can cover yeah. some water with a little John or a marshmallow or you know, a mirrodine, you, you it, it it lends itself to finding fish. It really does, and oftentimes when Shelby and I go fishing, I'll grab a little John, and she'll grab a mirrodine, and we'll start just 
drifting the flats or trying different spots. And, you know, obviously if she starts whipping up on me like normal, uh, <laughs> then I'll switch to a Miradine or vice versa. So, uh, you know, it is good to, to, to change out your, you know, to have one angler fishing something and somebody something else, you know, um, for sure. Does Shelby so, have a favorite bait? I think our list. I think our listeners would like to know that because women always. My wife, dude. I took her to Costa Rica and she whooped me. Like never been on a big boat in her life and just, you know, yeah. every ladies. Yeah, female anglers just 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 they listen and they really uh, they really have a great feel and sensitivity when it comes to you know when they get the bite and 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 I don't know seems like guys like myself, we panic or we get so excited that we do the wrong thing. And uh, uh, so, but I think Shelby's favorite is the Miradine. I think that's her favorite. She likes that, that smaller size Miradine. I see her throw that an awful lot and, and she has really good success with that. That's pretty cool. And I think it's, it's neat that you get to do that, um, that fishing with your daughter. I think that's a, that's yeah. a, a very cool you- piece of that puzzle in your world. Yeah, it's so neat. You know, one one thing about fishing, which I really, I truly love, is you don't know what you're going to experience out there. It might be a dolphin coming up to a boat. It might be seeing a shark. I mean, you never know. Every day is different, and every day, you know, there's a different opportunities on the water. I think that's what's the most fascinating thing with fishing. It's not truly all about always, you know, catching your limit or, you know, getting enough for dinner. It's like out there, what do you see? You see a osprey come down and get a huge trout or something like that. There's always something out there that that just makes your day. Yeah, that's. I think that's very well said. I, I You know, we spend so much time now, um, you know, locked to our phones or to our computers or to our TVs, and it's it's amazing to me the amount of cool things that I've seen over the years, you know, by just being on the water. You know, the more you're out mm-hmm. there, the more you're going to see, the more great fishing days you have. I talk to some people that, you know, complain. Every time I go fishing, you know, we don't catch anything. Well, you know, how many times did you fish last year? Twice. Okay, well, you only fished mm-hmm. twice all year. <laughs> so I had more That's bad right. Yeah, I had more bad days than that, I promise you. You know, but I had <laughs> a lot true. more I, good days than yeah. that because I'm out there all the time. I mean, that's yeah. got to be kind of yeah. the key to the – the key to the thing is just like playing golf. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, Tiger Woods didn't get good at hitting a golf ball because he hit a golf ball, you know, twice a month. I mean, you gotta, you got to go. you got to get on the water, spend yeah. some time out there, you know, play with different lures, play with different baits, play with different rods and reels and combos and, you know, find out what you like. Or, you know, I have mm-hmm. a bunch of friends that are eight up fishermen that they don't, they, they're just not fans of inshore fishing at all. If they can't run deep offshore and, pull on big cinder blocks they're not happy you know mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. Then there's guys True. like me I, I i don't mind it offshore it's okay but we're driving by all mm-hmm. those fish i mean i know there's trout on that bar and there's <laughs> pompano on that beach and we're driving away we're gonna go what uh, 30, 30 miles offshore and we can go right yeah. over here and catch fish i'm puzzled i'm not sure why we're doing that and the <laughs> and the older we get you know typically those offshore trips take a lot more you know, uh, you know, it's it's more money, and, and then obviously it takes a day ahead of time to go get your bait and get everything ready. Whereas, you know, the inshore fishery, uh, you know, you simple, you know, put a, put a couple gallons of gas in the boat and, and some artificials, and you're fishing right away. You know, so I, that, a lot of times that offshore stuff is sort of a young man's sport. The older I get, I just I really enjoy, <laughs> you know, going out, you know, for a few hours. If I catch fish, that's fine. If I don't, that's fine, too. So I hear you. No doubt about it. No 
doubt about it. The very first article I ever wrote, um, right after I started guiding, and I don't remember what what magazine or newspaper it went in, but I wrote an article, and it was it it was the first thing that jumped into my mind when they asked me to write an article, and it was telling people to take time to learn to throw artificials, be patient with the process, because. If you only fish on Saturday or you fish on Sundays and bait being hot and cold all year long, depending on the moon phase and, you know, all these things, your bait, your favorite bait spot. Oh, there's always bait there. Well, there's not always bait there. You're going to go out on a Saturday morning and you're going to spend three hours looking for bait. If you are confident in your artificials, you could be fishing while everyone else is catching bait. You'll be out there two Mm -hmm. hours before they are and you will catch still catch great fish as long as you just are patient enough to fall in love with the art of throwing artificials. I think so many people And develop that. more and more confidence. Yeah, they yeah. get more and more confidence in them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's and that's what it is. It's That's all it is with artificials is it's confidence. A lot of times when I mm-hmm. run a charter, I if I'm throwing artificials, I like it to be two people because that way I can throw artificials as well. On my boat, at four people throwing artificials, it just—I'm not a big fan of that many hooks flying around my head. But if I can do it with two <laughs> anglers, and, yeah, two anglers and myself, then I feel like I can catch fish where we're fishing and give them the confidence to know that we're on fish. And I think mm-hmm. that I think that changes it for people once they realize they can catch them on artificial, and once they catch a few and start to believe. But it takes time. It just doesn't happen real quick. So it's one of those things. That's a good point. Uh, Mike, that's a really good point. You know, one great thing is is with you there sitting there, you know, they can watch you, your retrieval rate and the cadence that you're putting on the the baits, and they can watch you and learn from you, and and, and obviously they're going to have some success too. So that's really a good point. If you don't have any any confidence in, in artificials, Hire an artificial guide and say, listen, I know I don't want to throw any bait. Let's just use artificials and, and let's try. Teach me. And, you know, you guys are great. You guys are the best teachers at it, you know. Well, we, you're gonna be, they're going to be on fish and they can watch you, right. you know. Absolutely. And there's so many really great, you know, and I do those trips. Um, I don't specialize in them, but obviously I do them, especially by request. But there's a lot of guys who really specialize in that thing. Um, you know, artificials mm-hmm. are their thing. That's all they do. Um, and I think that's, yep. you know, those are the guys to get with that can really, really teach you how to catch them on tough days because that's all they do. Yep. You know, on a really mm-hmm. tough day, I'm going to be scratching and itching and looking at the bridge thinking, if I could just get over there with my cast net, we could, I could fill the <laughs> live well here real quick and it wouldn't be quite so tough. But a guy who just that's throws right. artificials and that's all they do and they don't own a cast net, they don't throw the cast net, they figure out ways to beat that tough tide. They figure out ways to beat yep. the high pressure you know, system that's sitting on the area you're fishing and all that stuff. And that's a great point. If you hire a guide, it will cut your learning curve in half. Just make sure you hire the right guy if you want to go and throw artificials. Eric Bachnick is my guest here from Mirror Eric, thanks so much for spending some time with me today. I really appreciate it. This is my first podcast, our first episode, and I, I thought it was really cool that I was able to get you in here to do it with me. Um, Mirror Lures, obviously a brand that's meant a lot to myself and, and real animals and all that, but just in my fishing in general through all the many years of spending time on the water here in the Bay Area and, and so many great memories 
with the marshmallow and little johns and you know top water explosions and and all those things and so much happiness that mirror lures brought me i was really thrilled when you said you could do this today and uh, i really appreciate your time well mike thank you for having me on on, on your show and uh and to your listeners, uh, we, we realize they have a choice in artificial lures, and we surely, surely appreciate them purchasing Mirror Lure, Paul Brown, and Island Lures. And uh, anyways, I'd love to do this with you again. We'll have you back, my friend. I appreciate you, pal. ShopMirrorLure.com is their website. Obviously, you can get them all over the place, local tackle stores. Uh, just a great bait, and uh, Eric's a great guy, good friend of the real animal. Thanks a lot. Hope you guys enjoyed this week's podcast, my very first podcast. Big thank you out to Eric Bachnick from Mirror Lure, big supporter of real animals over the years, and a guy who I really look up to, great fisherman, great businessman, great family man, just somebody who I always, always enjoy spending a little bit of time with, uh, no doubt about that. Big shout out to our presenting sponsor, Contender Boats. If you want to check out their new 44 ST, it just came out, incredible, incredible boat, top to bottom, Contender Boats, always in the game, love that company to death. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show. Looks like we'll uh, be dropping new episodes on you just about every Tuesday, so be sure to check those out. Again, if there's something you want to see, hear, some interview you'd like to see, if I could get, reach out to me on my social media, Facebook slash Real Animals. We're there. We're on Instagram uh, at Real Animals TV and on Twitter at Real Animals Food. Everybody, have a great day. This is an In the Trenches with Ian Beckles. Quick Fix on Radio Influence. I don't love to watch the draft. Um, all that mock draft, I don't want that. But the combine to me, I enjoy watching young athletes um, secure their future. And when you see players come out that maybe you haven't heard of as much and they do great things at a combine, all of a sudden they're the talk of the town. That's real cool. Um, you'll see some players that, uh, for instance, like um, the Medcalf kid, DK Medcalf, we were talking about his physique um, for weeks. He came out with a picture from Ole Miss, came out with a picture, and I was like, Jesus, I mean, that kid looks like he has a Batman suit on, pretty much. And then he goes out to the combine, and you want to not be impressed. But and I'm not the kind of guy that changes his mind because of the combine. I, I mean, the combine is not really there to move your, draw, your, your draft stock, although it does. It's just there to make sure that you don't have a deficiency. In the Trenches with Ian Beckles can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.